James chapter 5. We have made it to the final chapter. We've got 20 verses in this chapter and we may be able to cover those 20 verses over the next month, month and a half. And um, the book has certainly been challenging and a blessing to us, hasn't it? Well, let's stand and ask the Lord's blessing upon us. We'll pray and, and then we'll read those first six verses. Let's pray. Now, blessed Lord, we come now to the preaching of your word. Lord, this is not an activity that we should take for granted, but one that saving faith gravitates to. Lord, the Spirit working in us this precious truth. Lord, as we read this portion of James, as it is expounded, Lord, open our eyes. Make our hearts, Lord, receptible to the truth. Where we need to repent, Lord, grant us repentance. Where we need, Lord, encouragement, let this word encourage us. Lord, help us become wise and mature in Christ. Strengthen our faith. Lord, progress our sanctification, strengthen our homes, our families, Lord, this body. Lord, bring, um, give us the opportunity to take this, this word, Lord, into this world we live in. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, brothers and sisters, hear now this word. Come now, you rich Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold! The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which had been upheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man and he does not resist you. And thus ends the reading of God's Word. Well, James continues to be very dramatic as he closes this letter. It's rightly that, or it's, I guess, important to recognize that when James wrote this book, he was certainly living in trying times. The book opens up uh, being addressed to the dispersed, those Jews who had been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire and certainly had brought with that dispersion a great difficulty, economic, challenging, um, socially, uh, economically. And every, in every possible way, these believers were being buffeted, challenged, tried, tempted, and tested. James writes this letter to encourage them, but to help them understand what's going on, what's taking place. Why are these things happening to me? I mean, we believe that Christ is the, is the Messiah that has come. And James writes in order that they might understand, that they might prevail and continue to exercise the grace of patience and many other graces as well, strengthening their faith. Now the portion that we read this morning is a strong denunciation of godlessness. There's a lot of discussion on whether or not James is writing to believers or unbelievers in this portion of chapter 5. I think it's important to note that James was considered himself to be a Jew of Jews. He was 
a man well known by the Hebrew community. He was one, he was martyred. Some even think that he never even finished the letter before his martyrdom. That the letter, the way the letter itself ends abruptly was due to the fact that he was martyred and killed for his faith. Now, we don't know that for sure. It's it's a speculation, but I guess it's probable. James was well known among the Hebrew community, and it's not impossible, it's, it's not improbable at all that he would spend a portion of the letter addressing those Jews who were who had hardened themselves against Christ, against the preaching of the gospel, against the teaching of the apostles, against the the foundation of the Christian church. I think it's certainly understood that in that first century, Christians were still, these Christian, these Jewish Christians were still mingling and living among these unbelieving brethren and family members. And it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for James to insert in this letter written to Christians a portion of it that they would share with their unbelieving family and friends. Now, having said that, the portion that he writes to them is not flattering at all. It's a hard word. I don't want to use the word harsh because, you know, today that word takes on the connotation if you don't like something, it's called harsh. That's that's not true. It's a hard word. Hard in the sense that they have no clue that they that these unbelieving Jews stand under the judgment of God. We're going to look at that in a moment. In fact, it's 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 as if James employs that prophetic language that's found in the Old Testament when there's the denunciation of judgment upon God's people. We see that right there in verse 1. Where James writes, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. That's right out of the Old Testament. That's right out of those prophets that had been sent by God to the people of Israel who had failed for decades to respond to the message of repentance. See, once God had sent the prophets into Israel, both the southern and the northern kingdoms, to repent of their idolatry and their materialism, once they had continued to turn their back and shun this, these, these prophets who were calling them to repent of their idolatry, they wouldn't have anything to do with them. They laughed, they scoffed. These prophets taught that they must repent of their sins. These prophets called them to repent. These prophets called them back to humility and come back to the service of God and to reject the idolatry of the nations around them. They would have none of it. Well, what happened was, brothers and sisters, over time, God quit sending those prophets of repentance. That season came to an end, and then he started sending prophets of doom. Prophets like Amos, Hosea, Jeremiah. And these prophets said, no longer is your repentance required, because your repentance means nothing. Judgment is here. James picks that language up and then he employs it right here in verse 1. Now who is James denunciating? Who is he speaking against? Notice right there in verse 1, he clearly says, Come now you rich. I think as we look at five denunciations in this text, 
The first one I want to address and deal with is James is not decrying or denouncing wealth itself, is he? He's denouncing rich people. He's denouncing the character of those who have been blessed by God. Those who have been richly graced with wealth who have failed to use that wealth to the glory of God and to the benefit and betterment of their brothers and sisters and who have chosen to spend their wealth upon their own pleasures and desires to the fullest extent. Those who are more concerned about the clothes they put on than the condition of their own soul. More, these these rich people who were concerned more about the enjoyment of this life than recognizing the day in which they lived and recognizing that there was a much better and greater and eternal life to come. That's who he's talking about. This is who he's speaking against. It's not a denunciation of wealth per se, but it's a denunciation of wicked people who use their wealth solely for their own greed and immorality. Now before we look at some Scripture, brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that even in our day, as our own nation becomes more godless and atheistic, And we have more ungodly people with extreme amounts of money and they employ the use of that money to advance the cause of evil, right? They use their millions and billions of dollars to advance the cause of godlessness. The agenda of the progressive left. The agenda that corrupts and erodes nations and communities. An agenda that robs homes of the purity of children and young people. It robs a nation of integrity and a character that is resolute, firm and fixed, strong, dedicated. An agenda that mocks tradition, good tradition. An agenda that mocks religion. You know, any, any agenda that supports Buddhism and Ethan Orthodoxy, that's atheism. That's all it is. That's atheistic. I won't go down that rabbit trail. I'll turn with me, if you will, to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3. Let me find. Look there with me at verse 9. And what I want to do is I want to, when I read this verse and you see it with your eyes, what I want you to understand is that God's not against wealth, and he blesses. His children with wealth. Look at verse 9. It says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Look at what he talks about. He says, honor the Lord from your wealth. And what's the picture there? That as one honors the Lord from their wealth, out of their wealth, what's the picture? The barns are filled up. The vats are overflowing with wine. That is, it's a picture of God blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And the one who is blessed continues to do what? Honor and honor and honor the Lord with wealth. And I tell you this, I mean, though we have this, this, this great amount of wealth being used for the employment of wickedness. What do we need? We need God's people spending their money for the employment of righteousness. That's what we need. But what happens when when we are blessed above measure 
And we don't honor the Lord out of that wealth. What happens? Well, turn to Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 21. Let's back up to um, 19. It says, Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. Notice the clothes. Joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table, besides even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And the poor man died. Now I just will stop there. Because notice what this rich man did with his wealth. He spent it solely upon himself. He spent it upon wanton, as the Scriptures call it, this wanton pleasure, this lavish, beyond celebration. It's beyond a good time. It is excess upon excess upon excess. It's like, it's like saying, drinking wine isn't enough. Let's drink wine from pictures of gold. Pictures of gold are not enough. Let me, in my wealth, build a swimming pool made of gold. Because I can afford it. And let me fill the swimming pool with wine. And you say, well, yes, that's extreme. That's the point. The point is, enough is never enough. Lavishness is never enough. It must be one more, one more, one more, and more, and more, and more. And that's the point. They're consumed by the next, and the next, and the next, and the next. So much so, they're so fixated, they're so consumed by the, the feast and the celebrations that they can have daily. Notice the text tells us daily, every day. You know, there's nothing wrong with a season of celebration. But if you're celebrating every day, that means you're not doing other things. Right? Do you, everybody see that? Young people, do you see that? There's nothing wrong with celebrating. But when the text tells us that this is going on every day, guess what? Other things are not being done. Look with me at... Well, that's enough. I don't... The Lord, the Lord said this in Luke 18.25. It is easier for a camel to enter the eye of the needle, the eye of a needle, than for a rich man or a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, brothers and sisters, where James is not denunciating, he is not condemning, he is not casting judgment on riches themselves. It is important for us to recognize as Christians that riches can be an extreme hindrance to sanctification and discipleship. And the reason is because one becomes to trust those riches over God. They become to trust in the wealth. They become, they, they trust in the security that wealth provides. It's kind of like I can build a wall around my house and that wall will protect me better than the hand of God can. And I'm not saying it's wrong to live behind walls. It's not wrong. It's not wrong to lock your doors. But if you think that your implicit trust is going to be in that locked door or that wall other than God. is. I don't need to pray and ask for God's protection tonight because I have a locked door. That's, that, you, have, you have been tempted and you have fallen into idolatry. You are trusting in something other than God for your own safety. And that was the problem that these Jews had fallen into, they were, had, they were trusting in their wealth and they were greedy and that greed led them to abuse and even take advantage 
of their brothers and their neighbors who were in great need. This denunciation, brothers and sisters, that James gives us in this text is the denunciation against injustice and social abuse. Yes, the Bible speaks to social justice, but not in the way the world speaks of social justice and not how the world uses social justice. So we see here, number one, that it's not a denunciation of wealth, but what is it? It's a denunciation of character, of character. What is lacking, what is lacking in these rich people that James brings such a hard word against? Well, love for God. They don't love God. They don't believe in God. They're not trusting in God. And they're not trusting in God because they haven't trusted in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the group of Jewish people that have rejected the preaching of the apostles. They have rejected the miracles of the apostles. And they have determined that none of that is real and true. And they have determined to go their own way. And so they have put off all of these gospel messages that they have heard. Notice what James says here. As he again describes them. He, he, he says that they have fattened their hearts. Look at verse 5. He says, You've lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Now that's the character. He's, he's witnessing. He's, he's bringing a divine testimony against their character. Who were they? These were people that had hardened their hearts against the preaching of Jesus Christ. How do you harden your hearts against the preaching of Christ? How do do you do that? You don't respond to the preaching of it. You hear it, but you don't do it. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. These people are where they are because they have rejected the sound preaching of the gospel. They've rejected it. It means that those calls to repentance didn't go. They they heard it with their ears, but they never received it in their hearts. They never repented of their sins. They never turned and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know, they may have given some minor acknowledgement of it, but they never followed up with it with what? A humbled life. A repentant life. A life that had, has put off this living for pleasure to service to God and watching God work and do His will in their lives. They didn't want any of that. They decided to go their own way, be their own gods, choose their own path. That's what they wanted. Instead of God blessing them and causing their barns to overfill and their, or to be filled up in their vats and to overflow, they said, no, we can do this ourselves. We will trust in wealth. We will trust in the work of our hands. We will trust in our own accomplishments. And they viewed their success as something to be proud of. They, that is where God did actually allow them to become increasingly rich. They never gave Him the glory for it. And in fact, it is serving to judge them. So it's character. James is condemning unredeemed, unregenerated men and women who do not have a purpose or place for the gospel. And I want to ask you something this morning. Now, remember, James isn't writing to, this isn't necessarily addressed implicitly to believers, but 
the Bible tells the sluggard to go to the ant. Go to the ant, sluggard. Why? I want you to learn something from this ant. And we can look at the rich. We can look at the mighty rich and ask ourselves, do we want to be like them? Do we want all they have? Would we, would we trade places with them to have what they have and to be who they are? You see, beloved, here's the question that we must answer our own, our, our, ourselves this morning is, how, how many messages have we heard that we've not heard, that we've not heard? How many, was, how many messages have we listened to that we've not acted upon? We've not, we have not taken those steps outside of the preaching of the sermon itself. We've not gone home and developed a plan for us to be obedient to the Word of God. Let me ask you something. If, if it hardened their hearts, is it going to harden your heart? Let's go to number two. Number two, this is a, a denunciation against the fantasy of human minds. This is the fantasy of, of, of human minds. This is what I mean by that. Notice what verse two and three says. It says, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire in it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Let me, listen, listen. Guess what they took great pride in? Their possessions. I'm important because look at the clothes I wear. I'm important, look at the money I have in the bank. I'm important, look at the income I generate on a monthly basis, a yearly basis. I'm important. But remember, this denunciation is coming from heaven. Let me ask you this, what God says, is it true? Will you trust what God says over Time Magazine, Forbes Magazine? Will you? Will you trust what God says over all the popular magazines, internet articles? Those things that are highly esteemed among men, Maybe an abomination to God. You see, they see their clothes as something to be envied. They see their wealth as something to be envied. But how does God see it? Notice, God says your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. It's very similar to the denunciation that Christ gave to one of the churches in Revelation they thought they were something. And he says, oh, you think you see. In fact, let's, let's quickly turn there to Revelation 3. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse look at verse 1. I want to begin reading in the middle there. It says, "I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive, but what? You are dead." See, they viewed themselves as alive, a living church. Man, we are a church that's hip. We are a church that's alive in God. What does Christ, who's the head of the church say? You're dead. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain which you are about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember that what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come. But you will have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." For he who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. Notice this imagery of garments. There's clean garments and there's pure garments. And that's the point. This, the rich have what? Rotted garments. That rotted garment is the portrayal of their heart. It's how God sees them. They're rotten on the inside. So anything they put on their bodies in God's sight is putrid and rotted in His sight. You can't cover up dung. Dung is always dung. You can't cover up rottenness and make it right. 
The only thing you can do is be transformed by the power and the mercy and the, the living grace of Christ. You must be made a new creation. God never calls us to cover up the old self. He calls us to die to the old self. Kill it. Be done with it. Do away with it. You are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. You used to be harlots, whoremongers, homosexuals. You used to be all of this, all of the, you used to practice all of these sins, but no longer anymore. You're not that. You are now children of Christ. Look at um, Matthew chapter 6. You can see here where James is certainly getting this imagery. You can see how James is building upon not only the the woes of the prophets and the denunciation of the prophets of the Old Testament, but also the teachings of Christ. Chapter 6, verse 19, where the Lord says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what James is talking about. Their hearts, their character is not with God's glory and His blessed Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hearts are upon their, themselves, their pleasures, their, their, their festivities. Which brings us to our third point. It's a denunciation against abuse. They were so consumed with their own pleasure. Now listen to me. They were so consumed. They, they, they had created such a God, such an idol of pleasure of, and greed that they were willing to abuse others to have more. Now they had a lot. But they were willing to abuse their brethren. Now I say brethren, their national citizens. They, these people, they, they, their own nationality. They were willing, listen, they were willing to abuse and even to the point of, of working them to death, withholding their wages so that they could invest it, so that they could hang on to it a little bit more, draw interest on that money, so they could do all these things, and they would go hungry and hungry and rob them of the vitality and their own, and their own comforts and needs in their own home because they were so consumed with themselves. That's a wicked person. You see, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Make the connection here. You cannot love your neighbor rightly if you don't love God. And if you love a certain God, if you've made up a God in your mind, if you love the God of greed, then guess what you're going to do? You're going to treat your neighbor appropriately according to that God. You see how it works? If I have created for myself the God of greed and pleasure, that means my God tells me I can do anything to you in order to achieve... Serving that God. I think it's appropriate to bring out now this, this truth that so many don't want to contend with, and that is the God who sits in heaven is judging even the unbeliever now. God is judging all men according to His moral law. Just as God went into Sodom and Gomorrah. And judged them. He said they weren't God's covenant people. But you know what? They knew better. And they, they, they were a very wealthy place. Those cities, city of Sodom, the city of Gomorrah, rested in one of the most fertile plains of that whole region. And the Bible tells us that they had so much wealth, they become what? Lazy. 
they become disinterested in, in normal living, and all they, all they could put their minds and hearts to is pleasure. And it consumed them, and God judged them. Nineveh. Nineveh wasn't part of God's covenant people, but he called them to repentance. Now, what is so, so dire about this denunciation? Brothers and sisters, there's no call to repentance here. There's no call to repentance. It's a call to wail and mourn because your judgment is here. I hope that scares you. It's supposed to. It scares me. They were willing to abuse others for their own pleasure. Let me give you an example of just how bad it was. Go to Matthew 19. Matthew 19. See, they were so greedy. The, the, the Jews had become so greedy and, and, and so uh, consumed with their own um, wealth and prosperity. And, and Jesus condemns them for this because if you, if you look right here, um, I may have gotten the wrong passage. Well, let me give you the gist of this. If you look at the rich young ruler there in verse 16 and following, you can see again um, where Jesus repeats or says again in verse 24 how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. But let me tell you what the Jews were doing and what Jesus denounces. Maybe it's 15, but we won't turn there. But listen to me. What they were doing is they were taking the inheritance given to them by their parents. And instead of using that inheritance to take care of their parents, which is what the oldest was supposed to do, the oldest was giving a double portion. Not to spend on himself. He was given a double portion so that he would take the extra portion and take care of the mom and dad. They, they got around that by saying, well, we'll dedicate our inheritance to the temple. We dedicate it to the temple. So they, anything dedicated to the temple couldn't be spent on mom and dad. But they could spend it on themselves. And Jesus condemned them. He says, you know, you, 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 you love to skirt the reality and the truth and the things, your obligations with these laws you created. But you know what? It's greed. It's greed. You take the money that your parents rightly deserve to care for them, and you spend it on yourself. Woe is you. Woe is you. Brothers and sisters, when you see a culture and a society that is willing in the name of truth, right, to, to abuse others, steal from them, take advantage of them, rob them, not aid them, God looks from heaven and decides after a time and season of, uh, uh, where there should have been repentance and there's no repentance, guess what? Judgment comes. Judgment comes. Fourthly, and I've already mentioned this, but it's a word against familiar hearing. They had become familiar with the truth and the teaching of Scripture to the point where they didn't see a need of, of responding to it. Familiar hearing. And it's, you know, have you ever fallen into that trap or to that thinking that, you know what? We need to do something in church different. It's old. It's, it's, it's boring. Church has become boring to me. So we need to do something. We don't need preaching. Let's have dramas. Let's have skits. Let's have plays. Let's have, let's have mimes. And let's, let's, let's do something interesting that might rekindle the interest of God's people. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. When we come to church, and it's like this for preachers too, 
When we come to church, we are responsible to bring our hearts warm in the presence of God and ready to receive what He has for us. Because if we don't, if we continue to be laxed in hearing and applying, you know what's going to happen? Our hearts are going to be hard. And guess what? We can come to a place where God says, I'm sorry, there's no more repentance for you. It's judgment. It's judgment. No more. Because I've, you know what I've done? I've sent you preachers. Yeah, yeah. I gave you messages. Yeah, I gave you, you know what? You've, you've said under five whole books of the Bible. Yeah, you're not listening. Yeah. You know what? You're not going to listen now. So guess what? Judgment. Yeah. I'm sorry, but what you're going to hear now, the only thing that you're going to respond to is pain and affliction and sorrow and misery. You see, God's like that. That's the whole book of Revel- the whole book of Hebrews says, if we don't respond to the preaching of the gospel in a way that it is that it should be responded to, woe is us. Double woe is us because if they in the Old Testament did not escape the preaching of Moses and the uh, the, the prophets then, guess what? We can't escape it now when Christ has come. Uh, look at Matthew 10. Matthew 10. I wanna, I'm going to make one more point and then we'll be finished for this morning. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 15. And, and this is the place where Jesus had come and preached the Word and had done miracles. And what did He say? He says, Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. What, what is that city? That city that rejected the preaching of the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, Whoever does not receive you or heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off of your feet. You know what? That's a sign of judgment. God's not welcome. They shake the dust off their feet because that's a household that, that says God's not welcome here. We don't want God here. God's not welcome here. We don't want God's truth here. We don't want God's morality here. We want to live for ourselves. We want to do our own thing. We don't want this God thing. We don't want to be obligated and responsible to God. We don't want that. Shake the dust off your feet. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If that happens, there's no gospel for you. Brings me to my last point. So there's a famine. Look, what happens when we, when we become too familiar with the Word? When we become too familiar with the Word and no one wants to heed the Word, guess what God does with the Word? He takes it away. And he causes there to be a famine in the land. You know why? Because nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. They would rather have their ears tickled, Paul says. They would rather hear sermonettes. They would rather hear messages telling them how good they are. And it was just like that in the Old Testament. Remember, Jeremiah comes along and he's preaching doom and gloom. And what do the other false prophets say to the people? Oh, don't listen to that crazy man. He doesn't know what he's talking about. God has blessed us. Look at us. We're prosperous. We're a wonderful nation. We're good people. I like you. You like me. Don't listen to that nut. He's a religious fanatic. And here James is saying, I mean, Jeremiah is saying, mm, judgment is here. You're going into captivity. Hey, save your prayers because God's no longer listening to them. Because what you do, you draw near to me with your presence. Hey, they were going to church. They didn't miss church. They liked church. They thought it was a good thing to go to church. But they didn't. They weren't there in their hearts. They loved to go through the motions. But they didn't love God in their hearts. And James says, guess what? God knows that. He says, oh, you draw near to me with your lips. You sing all these wonderful hymns. You say amen every now and then. But in your hearts, oh, you don't care. You don't care. That's what's happening here. There's a famine. There's, what happens? There's a famine in the land. It's kind of a do. It's a two-edged sword. What's needed in order to bring revival? Preaching. 
Revival don't come when you have an experience with your cereal bowl and piece of toast. Revival comes under the preaching of the gospel where the word is expounded, where sinners are called to Christ to repent of their sins and be saved by His grace. And men and women begin to respond to this and they begin to be blessed by Him and they begin to live for Him and He blesses and blesses and blesses. That's revival. Revival always starts with the Word and it is founded on the Word and it increases with the Word. And what we have today is we don't want no preaching. Don't preach to me. Oh, no, no, no. 20 minutes, 15 minutes at best. And I'm not saying longer sermons are better because I've preached some sermons that should have been about 15 or 20 minutes myself. They could have been better. But what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters, is the fervor and a a passion that we need to have for the truth. Preaching it and receiving it. Last point. The point is, this is a denunciation, brothers and sisters, because these Jewish People fail to live in their times and understand the times in which they lived. They fail to understand the times in which they lived. Look what James says there um, in verse 3. He says, Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and it will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. First of all, notice their wealth is actually going to witness against them. All that we have been given by God can say, yes, I've been used for God's glory or no, I've been spent on frivolous things. Secondly, secondly, notice That these last days are in the days that James is writing. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. What are these last days? These last days of this new covenant transitioning and bringing in this new covenant in Christ. This old covenant falling away. They have failed, brothers and sisters, to recognize this transition and that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh, God in the flesh, and tabernacled among them and was preached on by the apostles and given power and authority over demons and spirits and diseases and the apostles went out from Christ and healed and blessed and preached and saw many and thousands come to Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't have, we don't have time to go there. Let me give you the text. You look it up. Amos 6. What's important about Amos 6? This language. What does Amos condemn Israel for? Well, I guess let me put it in common language for you young people. They lived for the parties when they should have been living for revival because judgment was at hand. Judgment. The prophets had preached judgment and repentance. The prophets had preached that they must repent of their sins. You know what they did? They ignored that preaching and they just kept having parties, dinner parties after dinner parties. And the prophet condemns them. He says, you know what you do? All you're doing is feasting and partying when you ought to be wailing and mourning. There is a time to wail and mourn. And the time for these to well and mourn was then and now. Why? They had become so hardened in their heart, no message was going to change them. None. Jesus couldn't be attractive enough. Grace could not be important enough. Sin was okay. They thought they were good people. They didn't need Christ. And James says, you know what you ought to do? Well and mourn. Wail and mourn. You know why? Because it's over. Judgment has come. Look at that verse. 
Because what he's saying is, brothers and sisters, they were being, they were in judgment. Let me say this. All right, we're going to close with this. If you find yourself here this morning and your heart's cold, you are being disciplined by God. The coldness of your heart is the discipline. If you find yourself here this morning, there's no interest in spiritual things or religious things. Brothers and sisters, you are being disciplined and judged by God. See, when we look at our culture and we see the rampant rise of immorality, the the increase in satiation with death and abortion and genocide, when we see the the insatiation of homosexuality and all these various other kinds of sins, guess what? It's not judgment is coming. Judgment has landed. It's here. It's at home with us. It's in our bedrooms. It's in our living rooms. It's in our homes. It's in our workplaces. God has brought an insensitivity to the things going on around us. And here's my question for us. My question is, where do we stand? I don't want us to be like these Jews. That gets the message, guess what? Don't, 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 don't worry about anything. Because you're not going to change. And judgment is yours. We have the opportunity today to change. Now, brothers and sisters, will you will you listen to James? Will you respond to the message this morning? Will you evaluate the way you use your gifts and talents and wealth? America is the wealthiest country in the world, one of them. Our level of poverty is far above the majority of the people living in this world. You know, you can go down to the impoverished sections and we got cars, we got phones, I mean, we got clothes, we got food, I mean, There's people, the majority of the people living in this world live on dirt floors. Yep. And they have to go get their water. And they have to use the bathroom outside. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you something. You acknowledge God's grace, goodness? You willing to use your wealth, your talents, who you are for His glory? If you spend it on yourself, I'm afraid that one day you're going to hear how you have fattened your hearts. A fattened heart's an insensitive heart. Just, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it can't be penetrated. It's so, it's, it's so fat, it can't anything penetrate it. It's unfeeling. And that's what happens to people that sit under the gospel and never heed it. Let's pray.